course, it is fishing season in the Northland, right? So I'm going to share a few fish stories this morning. Start that off. All right, so there's a guy named Fred. And Fred had a terrible day fishing at the lake and sitting in the blazing sun all day. Obviously, that wasn't in northern Minnesota because we don't really get that now. But, but he hadn't caught a single thing. And so on his way home, he stops at the fish market and he ordered four rainbow trout. He told the sales clerk, pick out four large ones and throw them at me. And the clerk said, throw them at you? Why do you want me to throw them at you? He said, so that I'm able to go home and tell my wife, in all honesty, I caught them. (laughs) The sales clerk responded, okay, but I suggest you take the salmon. Why is that, Fred inquired. Because your wife came in earlier today and said if you stopped by, I should tell you to take the salmon because that's really what she'd like for supper tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you've heard this one. The warden comes up to the man. Do you have permit for all those fish? Uh, No, sir. uh, These are my pet fish. Your pet fish. How's that? Well, every night I, I take all my pet fish for a walk by the lake and I let them swim around for about a half an hour. And then I whistle and they come back and they jump in my basket. We go home. We do this every night. Well, that's just a crock of lies. Here, I'll show you. So the man dumps the fish back in the lake. and The warden says, well, I got to see this. Five minutes go by. Well, What? The man says, the fish, the warden says, where's your pet fish? What fish? (laughs) That's all I got. I don't have any personal fish stories. I haven't fished since, oh, probably since my grandpa could no longer go and take us out fishing when I was a, a kid. But you probably have heard the idiom, fish story, and and that just does, just, um, describes or or defines an exaggerated account or tall tale. And and that is connected with supposedly the fishermen have this tendency to to claim that the one that got away was much larger than it really was, and so they tell this fish story, and of course none of you have ever, ever done that. But as as we continue our, our 52 greatest stories of the Bible... This morning, we are going to have one of the fish stories from the Bible. And so today's very fitting title for the message is The Fish Story. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably have heard the story of Jonah and the big fish. Though you maybe were mistakenly told it was a whale instead of a fish, but Maybe you were like me and you didn't grow up in Sunday school, and so this maybe will be a new story for you. It's, it's possible, because I don't ever remember knowing anything about Jonah when I was a kid. But nevertheless, good stories like Jonah and the really big fish are worth retelling. So we're going to do that this morning, and I'm going to start off there. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you want to take those out, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. It's located between Obadia and Micah. And Jonah, just like Amos that we were in last week, is one of the minor prophets. 
In fact, Amos and Jonah were contemporaries. They were prophets at the same time. And so we have to remember, though, like I mentioned last week, when we talk about the minor prophets, it doesn't mean that they are less important. It just simply means that their book is shorter. That's all, it, that's all that means. But the book of Jonah typically covers only two pages or so in your Bible. And, of course, that depends on if you've got the notes or how big your print needs to be these days. But a short, it's, a, it's a short fish story with a really big message. So before we get into Word this morning, as you're flipping for trying to find Jonah, let's just take a minute and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word. Lord, we love that it has the power to not only change our lives, but you can equip us through it. Lord, you can do miraculous things. Encourage us. Help us to to have some correction. Lord, your word is powerful. And so we just pray, Lord, that your word would go forth this morning for how you intend it to and change our lives, Lord. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to start out with Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible reads, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Not a good plan, just saying He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they'd asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, Don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent the storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailor picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. 
The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah considers that maybe this would be a really good time to pray. And so that prayer is recorded for us in the next nine verses, and you can read that on your own time. But God hears Jonah's prayers from the belly of the fish. Isn't it comforting to know that no matter how dark or tight or smelly our sin and rebellion gets us into that position, that God still hears our prayers? In even those places, God still hears our prayers. And in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Lisa, that is a fish story. There's no way that could have actually happened. Certainly that must be one of those parables parables that they talk about in Scripture. A big fish, big enough to swallow a man whole, and that he would live for three days with all those gastric gases and yuck and then to be spit out alive onto shore, that seems like an awfully tall tale. It sounds like a fish story. Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12 if you want to quickly go there. Verse 39. You know, hold your finger in Jonah because we're going to be back there. But here Jesus is responding to some teachers of the religious law and Pharisees who asked for a miraculous sign to prove his authority. And this is what is recorded for us. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. says, But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now there's more that God says about Nineveh, or more that Jesus, who is also God, but more that Jesus says about Nineveh here, but I'm going to get ahead of the story, so I'm just going to stop there, and we're going to turn to our companion book. Because here's what the author writes. He says, now we believe this story did literally happen. And we believe it for a variety of reasons, mostly because Jesus seemed to think it literally happened. And because he also figured out a way to come back from the dead, we tend to side with him in situations like this. Jesus treated the story of Jonah as historical fact. Not a folktale, not a parable, as fact. Why would we consider accepting it as anything but? But just because the book is named after Jonah, it doesn't mean that he's the principal character, the principal person in the book. God is. So with those two things settled this morning, that the book of Jonah is a historical event and that God is the principal person in the book, I want to spend the rest of our morning looking at the attributes and characteristics that God reveals about himself as the principal person in this historical event. First, God is sovereign. He's in control. 
God is going to go through great lengths to accomplish his purposes. Now, it would seem like it would be much more expedient for God to accomplish his work if he didn't include the obstinate and rebellious people. But God chooses to include them in accomplishing his work, which he will fulfill in spite of our weaknesses and our imperfections. God chose Jonah to be his mouthpiece to warn the Ninevites, to proclaim that salvation comes from the Lord. God sovereignly orchestrated events to accomplish his purposes in spite of Jonah's rebellions. He did it for his own good reasons. I think about Proverbs 16.9. I don't have it up on the screen. But it basically says we can make our plans but it's the Lord who orders our steps. And I think the picture of Jonah here is a really good illustration of that. Because as we look through these next two, or the first two chapters, there are seven instances where the Bible demonstrates God's sovereignty. The first is God's caused the violent storm. Second, the lot fell on Jonah. Third, he calmed the storm when Jonah was thrown overboard. Fourth, the fish transported him safely under God's direction. Sixth, he had the fish throw Jonah up on dry land. And then perhaps the greatest of all is that he melted the disobedient prophet's heart, evidenced by his prayer of thanksgiving. Job rightly declared of God in Job 42.2, I know that you can do anything. No one and no one can stop you. Now, I don't want to make light of, of difficult situations, but sometimes those difficult things in our lives are what God uses to get our attention, or it might be to redirect us in order for God to fulfill his plans and purposes in and through us. God's purpose in sending Jonah to, the, to Nineveh was missional. God desired that 120,000 people dwelling there would repent of their sin and turn to him, the one true God. So the second characteristic of God that we see here is that he is compassionate. He wanted them to be saved. Though, of course, we can couple it, too, with that God is patient and that he is slow to anger, all of that fits into that. But the story has us asking the question, why would Jonah, a prophet of God, run the other way? Wouldn't a prophet of God want the people to repent? Well, before anyone passes judgment on Jonah this morning, let me tell you about a ministry position. It's actually a missions position. Here's the qualifications. I think it's good to know what the qualifications are. You must know and love God. There's the qualifications. All right? I like to think that that pretty much covers everybody in the room. So the majority here are qualified. Okay? So what's the responsibilities, you ask? Just one for this immediate assignment. 
Go and tell radical Muslims, not one by one, but a city of them, 120,000 of them to be exact, that if they don't turn to the one true God, that they're going to be destroyed. Yep. Enter their stronghold and inform them. Who's willing to go? This was similar to the task of Jonah. Nineveh was known to be one of the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, and most idolatrous empires of the world. Known to remove the very skin of their victims, mutilating the bodies of live captives, and stacking their corpses in piles. They also were known to stack human heads similar to a totem pole. They were evil. But yet this was the city, these people, who God had commissioned Jonah to go and deliver his message to. God wanted to pour out his compassion on these people. I find it interesting that sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that the Old Testament God was just a harsh, judgmental God. And that only in the New Testament do we see his compassion. But the reality is, is God doesn't change. He was compassionate. He is compassionate. He will always be compassionate. And Psalm 86, verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And this supports what we read also in the second half of Peter, or Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says he does not want anyone to be destroyed. Some translations say he doesn't want anyone to perish, but wants everyone to repent. God is compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. After the fish had deposited Jonah on the shore, Jonah obeyed God and went to Nineveh and proclaimed these words to the city. Picking it back up in Jonah, if you want to turn to chapter 3, verse 4. The Bible says, On that, the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That would be like a stranger, a foreign stranger at that, showing up in a city the size of Rochester, Minnesota, and declaring 40 days from now, Rochester will be destroyed. What kind of welcome would you expect? The prophet would be run out, and that, that would be the minimum that he would be run out of the city. But if we look at the next verse in verse 5, this was the people's response. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Jonah delivered God's message, and the people believed and repented. What a great victory. 120,000 people turning from their wicked ways and repenting, calling everyone to fast, including their livestock. Now let me help you understand that a little bit. Many of you know that Pat and I have a partnership with my parents with cattle. Okay. 
It's that time of year where if they see you, they hear your front door open or close, or they hear the clang of the um, chain on my garden gate, they take note. And they, well, let's just say they start bellowing. And I'm not talking that little moo sound that we teach our toddlers that the cow makes, that moo, no, oh no. This can be absolutely deafening. If you grew up on a farm, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They want food and they want it now and they're letting you know that. So to declare a fast that for three days your cattle aren't going to eat too That's some really drastic measures. But that's what the Ninevites did. They took the message that God spoke through Jonah seriously, and they repented. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14 says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. God is true to his word. When he saw the evidence of their changed hearts and how they had put a stop to their evil ways as they had humbled themselves and prayed and sought his face and fasted, God changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Revival hit Nineveh, and Jonah got to see it firsthand. You'd think Jonah would be at that mountaintop right now, having been a part of 120 people, having been brought into eternal life and given salvation, 120,000 people. You'd think he'd be rejoicing at what he had witnessed God do. But as we turn back to our Bibles in chapter 4, verse 1, This is what we read. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I'd predicted will not happen. Turning back to our companion book one last time this morning, we read, To Jonah's mind, the Ninevites are outsiders, so he shouldn't have to care about them. As a prophet, he knows that God wants him to love your neighbors as yourself. Jonah just figures the Ninevites aren't his neighbors. It's a lot easier to put a whole group of people in the not-my-neighbor category than it is to figure out how to love them. Loving others can get messy. It can cost you something. Jonah's not the first person to do this in the Bible, and he's not the last. As a matter of fact, it happens all the time, even today. We look at a group of people or one person and think, I know God wants me to love everyone, but God never met him. At least that's what we rationalize. God loves each and every human being. 
even those who fall into categories we don't, we don't even want to think about. He sent his son to live and die and come back from the dead on their behalf, and he does not want any of them to spend eternity separated from him. He loves them as much as he loves you. And he calls those of us who have entered into a personal relationship with him to turn and show the same kind of love to them that he has shown to us. And so in closing this morning, the Lord's love for the souls of the, all people was, were supposed to, to be communicated through Israel. God's elect and covenant nation. Through Israel, the blessing of his compassion was to be preached to the nations. And the book of Jonah was a reminder to Israel of her missionary purpose. Well, we as the body of Christ have that same purpose. God calls those of us who have entered into a personal relationship with him to turn and show that same kind of love that we've received to those around us, including our neighbors, to demonstrate that all people matter to God and that Christ's message and ministry through us, the local church, is the hope of the world, to offer them hope, the hope of Christ, when life is seemingly hopeless, to be willing to go out of our way just as the Good Samaritan did, to offer assistance when life is difficult for people, to demonstrate Jesus' love to others by investing in them. And yes, it will cost us especially that precious commodity of time. But in our fast-paced world in which we live, if we're willing to do that, it's going to speak volumes. Yes, some people are hard to love. In fact, some people are impossible for us to love if we're going to try and love them with our own power. We need the Holy Spirit of God filling us up and strengthening us and helping us to love. Yes, even love our enemies with the love of Christ. The Lord is gracious to all people. You see, the price that Jesus paid for the salvation of humanity, the suffering he bore on the cross was far too costly for us to pick and choose who it is that should hear his amazing love and grace. And so I just want to take a few minutes and ask you to consider where are you at? On this? Is your attitude like that of Jonah's? You have people who live next to you, but you would never consider them your neighbor, at least not in a biblical sense. Do you make the determination in your own mind that there are some people that are just simply excluded from God's grace and love? If that's you this morning, may I just challenge you to ask God to change your attitude. That you'd ask him to give you a heart like his heart. Sure, some of those people are rough around the edges, 
but quite frankly, so are we. You know, sometimes it's hardest to love people who are different from us. And that means maybe somebody that's much more wealthy or much more affluent than we are, and we can hold back the gospel message from them. We need the Holy Spirit to change our attitude and heart, to fill it with compassion. Or maybe you're here today and you really do want to love people, but sometimes you struggle. And I think that's probably true of all of us. Again, we just want to ask God to help us through the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can speak love and life into people. To not fall into that um, thinking that there are some people that are beyond his grace. We need the Holy Spirit to help us, to help fill our heart, to help us to have the eyes to see them as he sees them, to help us to love them as he loves them. The Bible says that God so loved the world. We're commissioned to do the same. We're to be fishers of men. Because Jesus' price, the price that he paid, was far too costly for us to pick and choose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message through the book of Jonah. The message that reminds us Lord, that you love all of humanity and that you commission us just as you commissioned the prophet Jonah to love those that you set before us. Lord, even the seemingly unlovable, even the difficult to love, we are to love them with your power and with the love that you have for us. Lord, don't let our attitudes hinder your purposes. Don't let us pick and choose who hears about your love and grace. Help us to have open hearts to speak, Lord, words of love, to show love through actions so that all can hear your truth and how much you love people. Help us to love our neighbor and help us to consider all of humanity our neighbor. Empower us, Holy Spirit, I pray, to be vessels of your love and grace to our world. And may you receive the glory and honor and praise For those that will turn and repent and enter into that eternal life with you. We thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to partner with you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>